Father God, right now, Father, we pray that you would take control. Father God, I'm just your vessel. Father God, I greatly decrease that your spirit in me might increase. And Father God, I pray that you would have your way, God. Have your way in us today, Father God. Lord, let your word go forth in power. Let your word, Father, go forth in clarity and let it go forth, Father, in a way that it will bring change in our lives for the glory of God. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, today we're going to be talking about sexual purity. What does God has to say about sex? I can remember yesterday I was talking with uh, uh, with, with Brother Kenny, and I mentioned to Kenny what the subject title was. And as soon as I said it, Kenny went, oh. <laughs> well, how many know that, that we got to deal with this issue? And the idea of sex did not come from the world. How many of you agree with that? How many of you understand that? It did not come from the world. Man just didn't think this thing up, and, and it just kind of happened. Sex is something that is good. Sex is something that is wholesome. And sex is something that God has ordained for us. And as we are entering into this season, and a lot of uh, uh, pastors usually try to teach on love and romance and sex because, you know, this time of year, everybody's all mushy, mushy. You know, it's, it's Valentine's Day and everybody is all in love and all that. And so today what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about sexual purity because we want to make sure that whatever we do, that we make sure that we honor God with our bodies. God wants us to enjoy sex. Now, I know that for, the, for the kids and young people, don't get all, you know, don't get worried. It's going to be G-rated um, for the parents. Don't worry about it. It's going to be good. <laughs> but God wants us to enjoy sex. But guess what? He only wants us to enjoy it within the context of marriage. Now, I know and I am well aware today that when you look at society as a whole, that a lot of people don't think that way. I work in an environment where people all the time talk about having little flings and having affairs, you know, and, and being around people that are, you know, it, it seems like fornication. And we're going to talk about that word in, in a moment. It seems like it's, it's kind of a normal thing. And, and, and parents, we're spending a lot of time have to tell our kids because our kids say, you know, that everybody else is doing it. And, and so you as a Christian, you look kind of strange and people usually say something to the tune of you're old fashioned. You know, I, I mean, people don't think that way. I mean, you know, the Bible is, is kind of like outdated. Right. And so we kind of hear that. But how many know that God's ways never change? His methodology changed the way in which he does things change. But God's ways never, ever change. When I think about sexual immorality, you think about how many people had lives have been destroyed because of sexual immorality. People getting involved in, in, in various kind of sexual relationships and being harmed and in being hurt, having physical, emotional and mental problems because of this. Because what people don't understand is that there's a spiritual side to sexuality. And that's why God says that it is only to happen within the context of marriage. And I don't care what I don't care what Dr. Uh, uh, Seuss or, or what's, what's that famous guy that's always on the Oprah, Dr. Phil. I, I don't care what or doctor. What's that little short lady? Um, 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 uh, who is it? Doctor. I don't care what they say. 
How many know that there is no such thing of safe sex with a condom? And you hear this thing being taught today. You say, well, you know, it's, it's, you, know you can have sex. So here's what, here's, here's what people say. Well, you know, they're going to do it anyway. So why not just go ahead and give them a condom so they can practice safe sex? Wait, let me tell you something. The only safe sex is within the context of marriage. You don't have to worry about sexual diseases. You don't have to worry about any of that, that stuff as long as you do it within the context of marriage. And I, I hear people say sometimes, well, God is, you know, I heard one, one guy at work, he said to me, he said, well, well, is God some kind of a killjoy or something? Why is God putting all these restrictions on me? I mean, after all, he gave us these urges and these drives. So why? I mean, is God trying to punish us? No, he's not. God is trying to protect us. And, and, and listen, and since God is the one who created sex, how do we know that he is the one that has the answers on how it's supposed to be done? And any time when you and I go outside of the boundaries of what God has set for us, there is always going to be a consequence. You cannot disobey the word of God. You cannot disobey the principles of God and expect that somehow you're going to get around it. It's just like that same idea with the condom thing. You know, it's a way that people can try to get around sexual disease. You're not going to get away with it. In fact, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read verse four. And it reads. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. (laughs) And the marriage bed is to be undefiled or the marriage bed is pure. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. I want to read that verse again. Marriage is to be held in honor of all. God honors marriage. God is the one who brought who who set up the institution of marriage. He says it is to be held in honor of all among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. You see, anything that is done. Listen, when you you married folks out there. Anything that is done in your married bed is between you and your God and your spouse. And guess what? God says the marriage bed is it is pure. It is undefiled. That's what God has said. But then he goes on to say that fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Now, I want I want you to think about that for a moment, because how many of you have ever heard the idea? I'm going to turn this thing off because I feel like I'm being lit up here. How many of you have ever heard the idea? Of try it before you buy it. Uh huh. You know. Well, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. You know, I, I gotta, I gotta make sure that I kind of, you know, uh, like this person in this intimate way, and so I'll kind of try it out. I actually had a lady tell me that one time. Well, you know, uh, well, you know, I just figure, you know, before I make that commitment, I'm just going to try it. I'm going to try it out, and then if I like it, then I'll marry him. But if I don't like it, if it's not good, then I won't do it. How many know? That it is nothing biblical about that. Because when God says the fornicators and adulterers, he will judge. What God is saying is there is going to be a penalty for that. And you think about people who have all the various kinds of problems. 
and issues and phys- physiological problems. And we talk about when God says that he's going to judge fornicators and adulterers, how does that judgment usually manifest itself? Well, it manifests itself in herpes, gonorrhea, AIDS, right? Because think about it. When you, listen, husband and wives, you don't have to worry about getting any kind of sexual disease when you're just with your spouse. You don't have to worry about it. I mean, you, I mean, listen, because God has ordained that. But God's judgment is going to come when we decide to have sex outside of marriage. And so we, we see all these things like all these various diseases. What it is, is it is God imposing his judgment. And God is saying, you know what? I don't like what you're doing and I'm going to hold you accountable and I'm going to judge you for it. And so now we have all these diseases. Another way that sexual immorality can hurt us, in particular a married couple, you know, we talk about adultery, is through broken families and broken relationships. How many homes have been destroyed? How many lives have been destroyed because of adultery? Someone stepping out, deciding deciding that, listen, I'm going to have this little fling. And, you know, and nobody sees it. Nobody knows. I mean, I'm not really hurting anybody. And after all, You know, it's kind of like the norm today. And so many children and families have been ripped apart. Children are left confused trying to figure out what's going on. All for just, look, momentary pleasure. 15, 20 minutes of pleasure could cost you your whole life, your whole family, and everything that God is trying to build in your life. And so... So people do this and they get involved in this kind of activity. They decide they're going to have this little affair and, and, and they don't realize that it's for your life. You, and you know, and it's hard to try to to try to preach this to young people today, because what they say is they look at everything else around them and they say, well, wait a minute. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, this is norm and everybody is kind of like moving in that direction. So it got to be right. How do we know that Christ is our standard? And not the world is not our standard. Listen, the Bible is not old fashioned. Look at your neighbor and say it's not old fashioned. The Bible is not old fashioned. The Bible is the word of God. It never changes. So the world around us is going to change. You're going to see people become more and more immoral. But the word of God never, ever changes. And when God says that I'm going to judge sexual sin, he means that he is going to judge it. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. 2 Samuel in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. Here, uh, you always hear me say that um, how much I appreciate David, a man after God's own heart. David had decided he had saw this, this beautiful woman Bathsheba. And he was in a place where he wasn't supposed to be. That's the first thing, people. We got to understand. We got to watch our feet. We got to make sure that we guard our steps and make sure that we don't wander off into places that we're not supposed to be. And David decides that he's going to have some affair with Bathsheba. And so what David does is David summons for Bathsheba to come and Bathsheba comes and then David have sexual relationship with her. And then later she sends out a message saying, you know, tell David. I'm pregnant. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, oh. Now, here it is. David wasn't thinking. Listen, when David decided to go outside of the reins and, and decide to commit adultery, he wasn't thinking about, wait a minute. You know, I, you know, I, you know he wasn't thinking about, I want a baby. 
He wasn't there thinking, you know, I want to, you know, I want to have a nice little baby from this relationship. You know what David was thinking? David was thinking, you know what? Her old man is out in the field. He's out the war. And Bathsheba's right here. And, you know, I'm king. I can pull this thing off. And nobody will ever know it. And nobody will ever see it. I'll just, I'll just have a good time. And then I'll send her back. But how do you know that the Bible says that even though David did all that, had her husband killed so that he can be with her. And the Bible says that the thing that David did displeased the Lord. In other words, the Lord saw it. See, you and I will never, ever be able to get away with anything. You hear people say sometimes, you know, I got away with it. You know, nobody knows. How many know God knows? <laughs> God knows exactly what you are doing. God, in fact, God knows what you're going to do before you do it. And so David gets involved in this adulterous affair with Bathsheba. And look what it says. Now, God sent Nathan, the prophet, to pronounce judgment on David. And look what it says in verse number 10 of 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now, therefore, now here's his punishment for this one fling. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, David, you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before Israel and under the sun. In other words, God is going to expose your sin. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. See, that was good. See, David didn't try to rationalize it. David didn't try to say, wait a minute. I mean, she shouldn't have been standing there naked. She shouldn't have been. She shouldn't have been in the privacy of her own house. It shouldn't have been. You know, he didn't get it. One of the things you got to you got to appreciate about David is David said, I have sinned. And if you have fallen into any kind of sexual immorality, the best thing you can say I said, God, I blew it. That's why God called David a man after his own heart. But look at the judgment. However, because by the deed in verse 14, because by this deed, you have given occasion to the enemy of the Lord to blaspheme the child. Remember that child? Because he got her pregnant. Also, that is born to you shall surely die. So Nathan went to his house. Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David. So that he was very, very sick. Now, you go on to read about the life of David. Now, for this for this few moments of pleasure, let me tell you what happened. David had incest within his own family. His own son, Ammon, raped his daughter or raped. He raped his sister, Ammon, raped her. Not only that, David was a fugitive. Remember, God said, I'm going to raise up evil in your own house. And when God says, I'm going to raise it up, what he's saying is God's going to remove his hand of grace. You see, when you start operating in willful disobedience toward God, God lets you have your way. If you make a choice and you say, okay, I'm going to go do this, then God will allow you to go your way. And so David now becomes a fugitive. From his kingdom, he's having to run because his own son is trying to kill him and take over the whole kingdom. So David now is on the run. He has to run from Jerusalem. He has to flee because his own son is trying to kill him. The baby that they that 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 Bathsheba had, the judgment was that baby died. 
But you may be thinking to yourself, well, gosh, God, that's kind of harsh. And what God is really saying is God is sending a message. When you and I want to disobey his word and we want to involve ourselves in, in sexual sins, adultery, whether it's adultery, whether it's fornication, God is saying that there is going to be a price that is going to have to be paid. And so this whole man's family is ripped apart and and, and just ripped at the core. Why? For a few moments of pleasure. And people don't think about that because what people think about is I want it now and I'm going to get it. But they don't realize that God sees it and God's going to judge it and God's going to hold you accountable. In particular with those, you know, for, for Christians, because we can't do that. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't do that. As a Christian, you can't do that. And see, this is a message that we got to share with people. I, I mean, at work all the time, I deal with my guys and they always talk and they say, they say well, I'm pretty sure. And they always joke around at work and say, well, you know, Gary, I'm sure we're giving you a whole lot of sermon material, <laughs> you know, on Sunday. And I tell them, yeah, you are. <laughs> you give me a lot of material. And, you know, and they just sit back and they just. They lust and they go into all this stuff. And, and, and it's like, you know, and, and people do things and open and, and it's gotten to a point now that people don't even try to hide it. Because society is saying it's OK. It's just like. That lady, uh, Angeline Jolie, who's involved with that guy, Brad Pitt. I mean, Daryl brought up an interesting point one day. Daryl goes, they're not married, are they? But yes, they're plastered on the cover of every magazine. You see how you see how the world is trying to push us, push this on us. It's OK. You don't have to make a real commitment. You don't have to get married. You can just have a little fun, just kind of live together. God says the fornicators and adulterers, he will judge. And so it's wrong. And so we got to deal with that. Now, when we talk about fornication. What is meant by the word fornication? Fornication generally means any sex outside of marriage. That means any sex outside of marriage, any kind of sex outside of marriage. How do we know that when President, what President Clinton did about six, seven years ago was wrong? It's adultery. It's immorality. It's immoral. It is wrong. Any sex outside of marriage is fornication. Fornication comes from the Greek word pornea. We get our English word pornography from it. And it generally means to sell oneself. It is the idea of prostitution. It also means all kinds of sexual immorality. See, that's where that's where this thing fornication. That's where fornication comes from. And I know today and we talk about in, in, in pornography, for an example, a billions of dollar, a billion dollar industry. But I mean, know that it's fornication. It is wrong. And it's an abomination in the eyes of God, because God says that if a man so looks at a woman and have lust for her in his heart, he's already committed adultery in where his heart. He also addresses. And listen, and for the person too the, who, who, who engages in that activity or who watches pornography, it's the same thing. You're not married. And when you begin to look at that and begin to lust, you're committing fornication in your heart. It is sexual immorality. You know, and there are new. Listen, and I hear what people say, well, we need to get some fresh ideas. Well, how many know there's a there's a much better way to get some fresh ideas for a marriage couple than to have to sit there and watch pornography? 
And I was, when I was studying this, there was this uh, on this website. I couldn't believe it. Supposedly a Christian website. And they were basically saying that how that, that, that it's okay to watch pornography as long as they're married. You can sit there and watch them. And I begin to think to myself, what in the world are people talking about? I mean, this is this is how far people have gone. I mean, they said, well, here they had like a criteria. Well, you can you can you can you can do it. God, it's OK with God. As long as the two people that you're watching, that they're married. OK, they're together. Then you can sit there and you can watch. Wait a minute. That person that I'm watching, I'm not married to that person. I don't care what the uh, I'm not married to that person. And it's to say, listen, pornography, fornication, it is all the same word. And how many families and lives have been destroyed because of this sin? And so, listen, parents, we got to take this thing serious. We can't allow ourselves to view it because let me tell you what happens. It distorts the mind. And the purity that God is building in you is going to be tainted. Because how many know that, listen, sex within the context of marriage between two people, the way God meant, is a beautiful thing. I know, listen, young people, hear me well. When it's done between two people, consenting adults who are married, who love each other, there is nothing better than that. Nothing better than that. That is the, listen, sex cannot be better than within the context of marriage. It's when it's outside of it, people become People become trash. And you go and you go and you talk with a lot of the people that are involved in that industry that work, that does that kind of work. You will discover that they're themselves, they're battling with low self-esteem. You know, they've been abused sexually. They don't feel loved. You know, love to them is their idea of just going to bed with somebody. And so they're often left disillusioned, hurt and abused. And then they become cold because they have to separate themselves. You follow me? Because it's fornication. It's pornography. It's all the same thing. And it is sexual immorality. And God is not pleased with it. And listen, so no matter what people say, God does not allow for it. And I know today on our TV screens, they they show a whole lot of stuff today. I mean, it's really, really tough. And I hear people say, well, you know, just let me, you know, I can look at that and it don't bother me. The Bible says whatever comes in here is going to eventually get in here. That, how, how do you guard your heart? You guard what you see. You guard what you hear. Because those images don't go away too easily. And God is trying, again, God is trying to protect us because he loves us that much. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Look at First um, Corinthians chapter number six. Can we go just a little bit deeper? First Corinthians chapter number six. First Corinthians chapter number six. And we're going to start in verse number 15. <laughs> Do you not know? That your bodies are members of Christ. (laughs) Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. You see, here's the first thing that you and I got to understand as Christians. That your body do not belong to yourself. Your body belongs to God. When you gave your life to Christ, supposing that you gave your life to Christ, your body 
It all belongs to God. You don't listen. You don't own yourself anymore. It all belongs to God. And then he says, said I didn't take the members, take this holy body that belongs to God and join them with a the prostitute, join them with sexual immorality, join them with adultery and all kinds of other sin. So I take the members, my body that is supposed to be holy, belong to God. And join in sexual immorality in some sin, because here's the thing. When you listen, when, when your body, when you engage sexually with someone and here's the spiritual side of it, then you are you become one with that thing that you're engaged with. See, that's the spiritual side of sexuality. And that's why people get all messed up. That's why people will blow people heads off and shoot them, you know, and kill them when somebody, you know, you know, fool around with them or take advantage of them sexually or somebody's husband or wife is caught cheating or something along those lines. You know, or people get really upset and people get really emotional. You know why? Because there's a spiritual side to it. And when you connect with something, you become one with it. Sexually, you become one with the thing that you connect with. And do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one. That's why sex is only supposed to be between two married, married adults. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. But then in verse 18, it says, flee immorality. Flee immorality. Look at me. I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you a good picture of flee. So every time you're tempted in some kind of sexual sin, I want you to look at me. I want you to get this picture. What am I doing? I'm running. You remember Joseph. Potiphar's wife, and I'm sure that Potiphar's wife was pretty, and I'm sure that Joseph was like any other man. He, he was attracted to her. But Joseph didn't sit there and say, so what do you want to talk about? Well, you know, I'm not, you know, I know you're married, but nah. As soon as Potiphar's wife came on, what did that brother do? He ran in the wind. I'm out of here. Run from it. And listen, here's what we got to do. You and I got to do what we got to do to keep ourselves pure. For some of us, that means we got to get rid of the Internet. For some of us, that means we got to block certain television programs. For some of us, that means that we can't watch certain books. For some of us, that means that we can't go certain places. But whatever you got to do to keep yourself pure before God, you got to do it. And that's different depending on the person, right? But the Bible says flee immorality. Don't sit there. Don't play with it because how many know it's dangerous? The Bible says flee. Run from it. Do what you got to do to preserve and protect yourself so that you can remain holy and pure before your God. Because one of the strongest sins that you ever you ever discover is sexual sin. It will bring a person down. Every other sin that is that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. There's something about sexual sin that when you do it, that you're really sinning against yourself, your own body. You're hurting yourself. Young people, are you hearing me well? You hurt yourself. I don't care what I don't care what they say at school. I don't care what they say on the playground. I really listen. The word of God will never change. And it's something about that, that you listen, that you sin against your own body when you do it. And I don't care what they say. He says in verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Look at that. 
whom you have from God and that you are not your own. For Christians, you see, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And one of the things that will help you is to listen. If you're ever tempted by the way of, of sexual immorality, if you go to bed with somebody you're not supposed to go to bed with, whether you're married or if you fornicate or if you're tempted to do that, then here's what you need to think to yourself. I'm taking Christ with me. Because that's exactly what you're doing. If you decide that you want to do that, you're taking the temple. But God made. listen, this is God's body, the spirit of God in you. You are taking God with you in your sin. He said, don't take the memories of Christ and join them to a prostitute. Don't do that. Is that one of the things that will keep you holy when you think that way? Wait a minute. God is right here with me in the bed. I mean, can God like leave? I'm closing the door and keep God out. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You take him with you. You take him with you. Turn to First Thessalonians chapter number four. Look at something else. It's a couple of books over. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter number four. Y'all see it with me? First Thessalonians chapter number four. Look at verse number three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain. Everybody say abstain. Abstain from sexual immorality. Now, this is the will of God. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. Now, here's what sanctification means. Sanctification means to be set apart. It means, listen, it means to be consecrated, to be set apart for almighty God. That's what sanctification means. It means that, listen, I am a whole, listen, I'm holy. I am set apart for God's glory, and I'm not going to allow myself to get involved with you in any immoral way. I am sorry. You know why? Because this body is holy. You see, I've been set apart by God. You see, women, you need to carry yourself like that. I've been, listen, I'm holy in God's presence. I have been sanctified. I have been consecrated. I belong to God. I don't belong to myself. And so that's the way you walk. Not in some kind of, I'm not talking about some kind of religious thing. You know, I'm just talking about a certain holiness that suggests that when people look at you funny, like they want to try it right off the bat. Don't even, don't even look at it. Don't even think about it. I, I never forget. I was one time was working. I was working patrol, and uh, and you know, and I know how to ignore you real good. And this lady was behind the cash register, and uh, and she's over there mumbling something to the other girls, and she's trying to get my attention. Now I can sense what's going on. Now I'm not stupid. I can sense what's going on. And she's over there, and she goes, "Excuse me." I, she goes, "Are you married?" And the girls are saying, "Be quiet, be quiet." Now I got a big old ring like right on my fingers, and she can see that. They're like, "Yeah, he's married." And so, but I just ignored her. I said, well, she can clearly see, and they've already told her. I'm just not going to say anything. So I pay for my stuff, and I'm headed out of the store. This woman comes yelling and screaming, running down behind me. Are you married? I want to talk to you. I looked at her. I said, woman, you're crazy. In police uniform, I got to go. Don't even listen. Don't even. I, I tell you what, it offends me. When anybody, let me tell you something. When somebody knows that I'm married, and you want to try to come on to me, that's offensive to me. You know why? Because I've been set apart by God. I'm holy. See, I'm holy. You are holy. And people ought to know right off the bat, I don't do that. I am sorry. Listen, you do what you got to do, what you want to do. But listen, I've been set apart for God. And if you talk to me that way, I'll put you in your place real quick. 
Because the only one I got eyes for is that woman in that other room over there. That's it. All my pleasure, if it don't come from her, I ain't getting it. I don't get it. I mean, it's all coming from her. And so I use all of my energies and all of my affections to cultivate our relationship. And how many know, men, when you do that, you have a happy wife and vice versa. And so, so when we talk about holiness, it's this idea that this person, man, I can look at them and just tell that they don't play that. They're serious about what God is doing in their life. And they don't behave that way. And then he says that each one of you know how to possess his own vessel and sanctification and honor. Okay, so, so listen to this. So we all understand that positionally we've been saved. We've been made right with God, right? But practically speaking, there are some things that you and I have to do to keep ourselves from falling into sexual sin. Listen, here's what he said. He said that each one of you must know how to possess his vessel. In other words, you have to do some things. You have to gain control of your flesh. And whatever you got to do to gain control of your flesh, you do it. You got to gain control of this thing. He said that every one of us must know how to possess our vessel. You must know how to carry yourself. You must know how and where not to go. What to look at, what to read. How do you guard yourself? And how many know that little voice, the Holy Spirit? He's going to speak to you. You all know that, right? He's going to let you know when there's something wrong. And God, what I find out about God is God, a lot of times he'll give you a warning way ahead of time. And if you take heed to it, you'll be blessed. You'll be protected. And God will make sure that you don't fall into this kind of sin. And so it's incumbent upon each and every one of us to know how to guard and to protect our vessel, our body, because it's holy before the Lord. Not in lustful passion, verse five, like the Gentiles who do not know God. I always say about a sinner, sinners are supposed to sin, right? Because they're sinners. Don't get upset about sinners sinning because that's what sinners do. People who don't know God, they're supposed to sin. That's what, but, but listen, he said, but for you, don't act like everybody else act. You know how everybody else act? Whatever I feel, whatever lust that is in my heart, whatever I feel, you know, whatever I feel like doing, whatever urge or craving I have, I'll do it at any expense. That's how the Gentiles think. That's how unbelievers think. Whatever it is, I'll do it. But God's people, we can't think that way. God's people are called to a higher standard. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm called to a higher standard. You're called to a higher standard in God. Not in a lustful passion. Not like everybody else. Not like the Gentiles. Because we're the light of the world, right? We're the example. And I know that you're going to risk people. And you know what? And it's funny because when you start living right before God, and you really start living right before God, people will start looking at you funny. They will look at you like you're some kind of lunatic. They will look at you like you're something. They will say things like, you know what? You're just uh, you're just crazy. I mean, you've gone, you know, you, this thing is way out of control. You, you're just, you know, you're way out there. But see, that's what happens when you want to be holy with God. God got to bring you to that place. And that no one transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. In other words, he said no one transgressed and defraud his brother. 
Don't drag nobody else into your sin. Why? Because what God says is that he's the avenger of all in these things. God's going to hold all of us account for how we treat one another and how we conduct our lives. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit. And in closing, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. We're going to read this verse and we're done. Verse number 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I want you to listen to this. Do not be deceived. (laughs) Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexual, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's what it's saying. If a person live a life that is characterized by this kind of living. okay, a person when it says that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, what it's talking about there is that people who are not in Christ. People who have not received Christ as their Lord and Savior. He says there that if, listen, basically he's saying that if your life is characterized by this, uh, people that practice this kind of lifestyle. And Paul is giving a warning, really. He's giving a warning. He said, listen, don't be deceived. Because how many know that there are some Christians who believe, so-called Christians who believe that they can sin up, do all kind of stuff, have all, all kind of immorality and still think they're going to get to heaven. They can live like the devil and then think that God is going to just welcome you. You know, there are people that believe that today. I mean, no conviction of the Holy Spirit. If if you can walk in sin and there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit at all, then something is wrong with that salvation. Because even as a Christian, does that mean that Christians can't slip and fall? No, we can slip and fall. But how many know that when you're born again, the Holy Spirit is going to harass you? He's going to harass you until you get that thing right. And you will have no peace in your heart. But people who just look, they, they look at it as a trophy, man. I can have as many women I want. I can fool around. If they're that way, if they're looking at it like it's, it's okay, I don't, it doesn't bother me, then something is wrong with that. And Paul is telling Corinthians, he's look, don't be deceived. Don't go around thinking that you can live this way and think you're going to get into the kingdom. And then Paul says in verse number 11, such were some of you. See, he's going, he said, now, this is the way you used to be, right? Before we came into the kingdom, this is the way we used to be, immoral, involving all kinds of sexual immorality. But he says, such were some of you, but you have been sanctified. That's you. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. So this is not the life you live anymore. You're to live a life of purity. You're to live a life of holiness. Yes, you are to go against the grain. But God is going to hold us accountable in this area of our lives. I mean, no, that's a good thing. Because God only wants what's best for us. Isn't it good that we have a God that loves us so much that he'll care for us, he'll protect us, and he'll give us warnings ahead of time so that we can get it right? See, the key thing of it is, is that, like I said before, God wants us to enjoy sex. But listen, 
only in marriage, only in marriage. Any other kind of sexual immorality, it is wrong, it is ungodly, and there's a price that's going to have to be paid. And you and I got to deal with it. The three things that you can do, that you must do, because I realize that not all of us are, <laughs> including myself, none of us are perfect. But if you, if you have fallen into sexual sin, then the thing that you must do first is you just confess it to God. One of the things I loved about David, when David sinned with Bathsheba, he didn't make excuses for it. And he didn't even try to justify it. He said, you know what? I've sinned. I've blown it. Confess it to God. And then repent. Repent means to turn around, to turn the other way. Make a conscious effort that I am going to go in a different direction. I'm not going to do this anymore. Whatever I got to do, I am not going to do this anymore. I'm going to repent. That means I'm going to have a change of mind and a change of heart. And then ask God to empower you by his spirit. Because how many know you need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you in this? You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And God will empower you by his grace. If you're really sincere and you really want to get it right, God will give you the grace to get it right. And then number four. Get a prayer partner, accountability partner, somebody that can help you, somebody that can encourage you so that you won't fall into this thing anymore because you can't walk this thing alone. And and let me tell you something. Sexual sin is very, very addictive. You know, just like I was listening to somebody tell me about crack the other day, how addictive crack is, and I've never experienced that. But it's like people will do anything for this crack. And things that are left uncontrolled, if you have uncontrolled lusts and passions in you, it will drive you. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit. And you need other people in your life that will pray for you. People that you can trust that will pray for you and hold you accountable in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. First, Lord, we thank you for sexual purity. We thank you, Lord God, that you're the one that established sex. And God, we want to honor you with our bodies. And I pray, God, that you would empower us, Lord, and give us the grace to do it. Father God, we want desperately to be pleasing unto you. So, Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would strengthen us. And those, Lord, even now, whom you have pricked their hearts, God, who have been convicted in some way, God, have mercy on them and bring them to that place of purity and bring them to that place, Father God, of repentance that you might get the glory. No one is looking around. Just take a moment and search your heart. And if this message has convicted you, just take a moment and pray to God and ask him to restore you and to forgive you and strengthen you.